Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. As a true football fan, you already know that just as sure as the seasons change, Randy Feetner is calling a draw play on second down and 19. Every weekend, our favorite gridiron warriors put their skills to the test, so why aren't you doing the same? It's playoff time, baby. And unfortunately, all of us have a lot more time on our hands as Steelers fans. So you got time to get in the game, and my bookie will let you do just that. It is the premier place to put all of your bets down on all of your favorite pro and college football action every weekend. They got the most up-to-date lines and the most prop bets of any sports book on the planet. So if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and bet with the best at my bookie. If you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. Pick against the Bengals. Oh, you can't anymore. That one's done because they're done. You know what else is done? The Browns. Just thought I'd throw that in there. Pick your locks for the week, then put them together in one parlay bet, and when they all come through, the rewards will be huge. The best part is if you join right now, my bookie will double your first deposit. That's right. If you put in a thousand, they'll give you a thousand. That's double your initial deposit, and you can use that on all your favorite picks. Just use the promo code CHAIR, C-H-A-I-R, to activate that offer. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Go Steelers! Go Steelers! Say go Steelers! Go Steelers! Many hours have passed since we released our grip, permitting the lifeless body of our 2019 Pittsburgh Steelers to slip from the leaky raft of this patchwork season into the inky black waters of the Nongahela River. It is certainly an insufficient span of time for the wounds to heal and pain to recede, but it provides adequate space to ruminate, to contemplate, to formulate actual multisyllabic words that will describe the aforementioned torment. Mm. And so, as like marriage therapy in a long-standing pain-filled marriage, we shall endeavor to exercise our suffering by sharing our feelings of a year gone horribly awry, mm. while at the same time giving wings to hope for the Steelers' 2020 season, which begins today. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of the Armchair All-Americans Network. It is December 30th, 2019. This is Tom coming to you from the Washington, D.C. Outpost. And Nick, unfortunately, well, fortunately, is joining me, but unfortunately, he's back in the Houston Outpost. Nicholas, have you exercised those demons? I think the demons were exercised uh, week one and a half when Ben went out for the season. 
And then when the Steelers went on that winning streak and it became apparent that they were not going to get a top 10 pick, I think that's when I got some closure on the season. So they were exercised a little bit earlier. It sucks that they embarrassed themselves the way that they did the past two weeks. But I think that there honestly could be a silver lining in terms of uh, maybe creating a larger sense of urgency in the organization and showing the Steelmen that they can't just roll Ben back out onto the field and fix all the issues that they have. Well, not to lose what is the lead that uh, the Steelers did drop. It's uh, third game in a row to the Ravens, 28 Ooh. third game in a row, the lightest being to the Ravens, 28 to 10. And interestingly, when you look at the, the year's schedule, you'll see a lot of tens in the last few games. Yeah. Three in a row. What did they score yeah. before the bills game? I mean, 23 they, against the cards. Okay. Deontay Johnson had seven of those. So you can knock those off the board. Well, either way. Yeah. Um, trying to figure out how we want to structure the podcast because you and I were talking and I think that a lot of people would probably share this sentiment that like the most interesting stuff to talk about is what happens next. But I think uh, maybe we start off just by seeing what our thoughts are on this season because it, it did feel like a lost season with Ben getting hurt and then seeing how phenomenal the defense was this year and kind of realizing, wow, if Ben were playing, even if he was only 75% of what he was, this team would be firmly entrenched in the Super Bowl run right now. Um, so that there's kind of a weird tinge to the season, but it was a ton of fun seeing them be scrappy and win a lot of games this year. And I think that they actually, while there's a ton of questions this off season, I think that they actually are set up next year to maybe have the most balanced team that they've had in terms of like having an offense defense and maybe a special teams, uh, then, you know, it might be the best balance that they've had in a long time. Do you have any overarching thoughts on the year in general or, um, opinions regarding that i do and i just to focus on the windshield is the defense i mean it is a you know what was emphasized to us this year is how important the quarterback is and something between what we have and you know a a franchise long-standing franchise quarterback like ben would even be have been adequate this year to win a couple more games i'm not sure that that was dobbs as has been posited by several people on twitter Right. But there are guys out there um, who, who could have we, we I think we could have easily been in the playoffs. Once again, it just points out you need a quarterback. You do. And I guess the biggest story of the year is the futility of Mason Rudolph and the futility of Duck Hodges. And if you listen to our podcast before, we'll point out. Not only are these guys inexperienced, and of course they could get better as their careers go along, but Listen, you guys, if you know what you're watching, (laughs) not to brag, but if you know what you're watching, you can see that these guys, their physical skills are just very below average. Sometimes it can be hard to determine how strong someone's arm is on TV, but I can tell you this much. There are not many people in the NFL, not many starting quarterbacks, that's for sure, with arms that are weaker than Ducks and Mason Rudolph's. And when you're looking at arm strength, you're not going to look at how far can they throw the ball? Because first off, you're rarely ever throwing the ball more than 50 yards on a go route. And anyone can do that in the NFL. It's more about 
what windows can you jam the ball into on like a 10 yard deep out, which might actually be, you know, like a 30, 40 yard throw with a drop back and having to throw all the way across the field. How can you attack the middle of the field with in cuts and stuff like that? And when you don't have an arm that's strong enough to do those things, it limits the plays you can call. It limits the amount of people that are open because someone that's open to Ben might not be open to you. And it kind of makes it so that conditions need to be perfect in order for you to get the ball there because a guy with a great arm can have the pocket collapse around him and still make these throws. Whereas duck and Rudolph still try to make the throws when the pocket collapses around them. And it usually ends up in the hands of the other team. So Randy Feetner didn't have a lot to work with as far as play calling. But I think what this season also showed us is definitively Randy Feetner didn't do anything to help these guys out. He didn't call plays. If you watched even the highlights from the 49ers versus Seahawks game last night, I posted this play on Twitter. So you guys can check out our Twitter timeline if you want to see this, but this is just one example. There was like a, 30-yard wide receiver reverse touchdown by the 49ers to Debo Samuel. And the play basically was they faked a run play to the running back to the right. And the left side of the line pulled like uh, to make make it convincing that they were going to run to the right. And instead of running to the right, he hands it to the receiver who's running all the way around to the left. Meanwhile, if you can picture this, the fullback, Kyle Juszczyk, started on the left side of the line. Right. And when the ball snapped, he started pulling to the right to fake that run. Then he spun around 180 degrees and zipped out to the left to be the lead blocker for the running back. Just look at our Twitter feed and watch that. That is an example of misdirection, which we didn't see Randy Feetner do to help out these guys who have little to no physical talent. I think he sort of encapsulated the entire offense. If you had any expectations other than just sheer hope this past year, uh, they were going to be dashed sooner or later. I mean, Duck was always working on borrowed time. Injuries yeah. took their toll. I mean, Connor, I'm afraid to – well, I'm not afraid to say it. I, right. I think he's got to be a, a number two quarterback, and we've got to find a – I'm sorry, running back. So there is a common thread. Would, do you think that there's something Feetner could have done – that would have um, helped this team to win. You think? It, yeah. You think it, he would have just done, you know, sort of what the common sense play would have been, or Tom was a little better at clock management. We would have eked out another game. For Is sure. That your point? Yeah, and I don't think that there's anything Feetner could have done, or Kyle Shanahan could have done, for that matter, to like make this a this offense like a top half of the league offense. Just because what we said before. There's barely any talent from the quarterback position specifically and honestly from the running back position all year. While Benny Snell had a great game, I thought, this past week, you know, the running backs are some of the slowest running backs in the entire league with Samuels and Snell. And, I'm, you know, I'm excited to see what Snell can do in his second year. We saw Connor and Le'Veon Bell get, like, tremendously faster year one to year two. But, yeah, while I don't think there's anything he could have done to make a really good offense, there's certainly things that they could have done to make a more effective offense. The Steelers rank – they don't rank dead last in in play action. They rank like – if there's anything behind last, that's where the Steelers rank in play action. And so that's just a little piece of statistical data to show you play action is a way to generate free completions, which gets the defense moving somewhere else so that when the quarterback looks up, he gets to throw to a wide-open guy instead of – plugging 
a Duck Hodges into a Ben Roethlisberger offense and being like, just drop on back there and fire lasers all day. So, yeah, I think it could have been better, although I'm not saying they could have made it like a, a great offense by any means. Would you have envisioned an eight and an eight record after the second half of the second game? No chance. I mean, I don't remember if I saw it on the podcast, if I said it on the podcast, but you and I were talking about it. I did think that there was a possibility that that team could have won, you know, four games before the Minka Fitzpatrick trade. I knew the Fitzpatrick trade would make an impact. I don't think anybody could have anticipated exactly the impact it made. I mean, I think that the Steelers defense would have gotten better over the course of the season, no matter what, but there's no denying that this guy took them to the absolute next level. It was like, he actually physically took the ball away a lot in his first few games. But even after that, it's just having the good coverage in the back end, the good communication. And at the end of the season, he wasn't getting as many interceptions, but it seems like every game he had like a third and one or fourth and one stop on a quarterback option run on some of these fast guys or whatever it was. I think he had one on Kyler Allen and RG three. So yeah, he was huge. If you ask me, uh, I think I said to you, if they were eight and eight, I would be absolutely thrilled. So maybe where we're sitting right now, thrilled is an overstatement, but I think that the Steelers are about where they're at. But you mentioned James Conner, um, and I was talking earlier about things that are exciting. And I think uh, I don't think we're quite burying the lead because some of the big leads are here on defense. But while we finish with the offense, there were some exciting things. And is Deontay Johnson number one in terms of the excitement for the offense for next year? He's a beast. He's a beast. I, I'm I'm trying to uh, weigh him against James Washington's potential because I think right. some of that potential is buried with the lack of a, a quarterback who knows totally. what Washington could have done. If duck could have, if, if I think Deontay benefits, if duck can throw harder to the sidelines, to your point, he can throw in right. a window hard, make it in time. If he has some more accuracy when he goes downfield to Washington, I think Washington would have just had to be an acrobat to catch anything he could get because the ball wasn't generally coming over sort of his correct shoulder. Yeah. Or, or just the fact of having bigger balls to throw to Washington. When you throw to those guys downtown, sometimes you just got to trust that those receivers are going to catch it. Even when it's one-on-one, it looks like the corner has them completely covered. And that's just something that comes with experience. Like if anybody saw the glorious highlights from the Ryan Fitzpatrick's, the dolphins upsetting the Patriots over the weekend, it was because Fitzpatrick wasn't afraid to throw it to the giant Devontae Parker, who was covered by the NFL's number one corner in the league, Stefan Gilmore. And they just threw countless back shoulders at this dude. And that's just because Ryan Fitzpatrick has played in like a thousand games and he's confident to put it up there. Um, well, oh, that, that, I had some sort of segue to that, but either way, I, I agree with your point where it's like, you're not even seeing Washington probably isn't even getting half the opportunities he might get next year. If, uh, the good Lord does good work on Ben's elbow. Well, but they're both. You, you, might, you may be uh, pointing to Duck's last lack of intestinal fortitude, but I'd say maybe it was a brain because he just too many balls were were up for grabs. So yeah. why try? You you want to depend on James Washington, but even he needs something, you know, not short, which is what Duck was doing a lot of the times. Yeah, and that helps Deontay because Deontay's catch and run. You know, he can catch it short and, and then roll the ball. But yeah, that's why way, I thought he'd have more potential. And you know what? Just yeah. to sort of, if you look at this this year, did you realize this? I'm sure everybody except for me realizes until just now. We only won out of our 
eight and eight record. We only beat one team that was over 500 the, the um, charges. The, oh, the truck. I didn't even realize the chargers ended up over 500, but um, uh, I think that's pretty common seven. thread between teams. I'm sorry. Rams. Sorry. Rams. Rams. Oh yeah. LA. It's just so unnecessary that they have, but they were teams, only nine but... and seven. It's not like they were dominating except they were in a actual well, that's division. the difference, right? I mean, they were game. It does feel like a wash, but it's like, yeah, Steelers should have beat the Ravens the first time and uh, should have beat the Seahawks really. And they should have beat the Niners. And I, and like we said, during that Niners game, the Niners outplayed them the whole time. Those five turnovers were kind of fluky, but the Steelers were still should have knocked that game away. And that's the difference between the playoff teams and not the playoff teams. I was talking to people earlier today, and I think the jets only beat one team with the winning record as well. And they're seven or nine. So that's kind of how it ends up. But either way, I guess um, just wrapping it up with the offense, I'm very excited about some of the receivers. I think that, uh, do you want to do you want to recap the defense too before we prognosticate to what they need into the future? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, there's the positives from offense is that uh, the, those two receivers are exciting, but the real lead is TJ Watt needs to get Defensive Player of the Year in a couple of weeks or whenever they announce that. Oh my! You goodness. know what? I I'm sure TJ Watt has not originated this punch, but. It's sort of like you wouldn't know this yet, but when your wife's pregnant, you notice all all the other pregnant mm. ladies around. And when you're just a single guy, just heads are in the clouds, you don't notice that kind of thing. I'm watching the games yesterday and how many guys are taking this violent punch at the ball. And I just didn't really yeah. focus on that before. I, have you noticed that? I mean, I know guys he, are swatting at the ball, but it feels like guys are taking it like just a driving their fist into the ball these days. The peanut punch. I know Charles Tillman. The defensive back, he he just recently retired, I think, but he was kind of famous for doing that. But it does look like T.J. Watt does it more violently, more intentionally, more often, and more successfully than the rest of the players in the league. And I was talking about Stephon Gilmore, the cornerback for the Patriots, over uh, you know a couple minutes ago or whatever it was. And look, T.J. Watt competing for Defensive Player of the Year against Stephon Gilmore and Chandler Jones. I think those are the two main competitions. Well, Chandler Jones did not reach 20 sacks over the weekend, so that's a positive for T.J. Uh, Gilmore had his worst game in, like, years, getting roasted by Devontae Parker and the Dolphins. And T.J. added another uh, forced fumble to his resume. So if he gets that Defensive Player of the Year award, that would be pretty awesome. We talked about that in preseason, that T.J. Watt, it's not even that he got better every year. He got better like every half year. You would see this massive leap. And we said at the end of last year, he was really looking like a star. And sometimes the numbers didn't, the numbers were good, but they weren't even adding up to the impact he was having. And if he could turn from really good player into legit superstar, the Steelers are going to have something to build going forward. And he definitely did that. Yeah. Six. So two interceptions, um, eight forced fumbles. He recovered four fumbles and I'm just looking at these in 14 and a half, sacks. And a half sacks. Yeah. So what did that do to, uh, there's some statistic. So bud had 11 and a half. Wow. So 26 total. That is like the first time in Steeler history. You have two, it's like an edge rushers with that. I, I forget the statistic. Did you hear this with, with double digit sacks? I don't know. I wouldn't know. It's like, you would think that, uh, Hagen's and Porter Woodley and Harrison or, you know, Green Lloyd, somebody would have that, but uh, I'm sure that Bud and TJ have set some sort of record. If it's both yeah. having double digit sacks, that's honestly surprising. 
you know what? I know it doesn't suffice for actually making the playoffs. <laughs> Look at what records were this year. But I, right. I'm looking at these things. Hey, what what are the, some of the sealed, silver linings in a season where the fate was almost sealed from the beginning? Yeah. And what what is an arrow pointing north for next season? And that is huge. Right. And we will talk a little bit more about Bud and, you know, his chances for being on the team. Well, you know, the beginning of the season was like unwatchable. It was like a waste of three hours watching the Steelers play, how futile their efforts were. And then the middle of the season was actually a lot of fun kind of culminating in that win against the Cardinals. Was that the last win of the season too? But it was just fun watching the defense make crazy plays to keep them into it. It was fun rooting for duck who we now know is, it's not good, but it's, I can't help it. You just got to like it. It's stuck, man. You got to like the guy still. But like these improbable stories of these guys winning that insane night with Miles Garrett uh, uh, committing assaults, if you will. And uh, it was fun in the middle of the season. But then, yeah, the last three weeks have been a borderline waste of three hours watching how bad the team is. But I guess you got to watch the defense fight through it every single week. And once again, they had some interceptions. I know that. Um, Steven Nelson in what a huge home run signing of this guy home run signing for him home run trade for Minka Fitzpatrick. You got Minka and TJ Devin Bush was really good. Um, we can, again, we can prognosticate about the future maybe after this, but uh, there's some things to really look forward to on that defense. Steven Nelson being one of them. And speaking of tandems on defense, getting records, Steven Nelson, wait, no, I guess it's Minka had five picks and Joe Hayden had five as well, which is the most since Dwayne Washington and Chad Scott in like 2000 or something. Chad Scott. Dang. I know. Yep. Maryland guy. True. Well, yeah. So the Steelers finished with 54 sacks. It's their third season with over 50. And um, I think it's. Well, they were important sacks this year too, right? Didn't you, you and I have talked about that in the past where they really did load up sacks against the Hugh Jackson Browns every year. I mean, I think they had 10 sacks like multiple times against those guys. And it just seemed whenever they played good teams and it was the fourth quarter, they couldn't get to the quarterback. Now it seems like by the fourth quarter, it's, it's like a foregone conclusion. Every game, like TJ Watts going to grab a sack in the fourth quarter. So they were even better that that's where football, like numbers need context. And if we really had no lives, even more than we already do, we could go back and like list the sacks from the past two years. But I can tell you off the top of my head right now, we tweeted about it a lot during the games. These sacks were more meaningful and they were coming at meaningful times in the game. I mean, so many drives. It seems like a drive every week where the other team gets into the red zone, it would end with the Steelers getting sacks. So I tweeted out that having a really good defense isn't just making everyone go three and out. That's impossible in the NFL nowadays, sometimes it's about turning touchdowns into field goals and the Steelers were good about that. Well, I think you're right. And and I will find some time because I would like to know when these sacks came because it seemed like in a lot of the season that the, um, there were times when the defense uh, started out a little slow, a little rusty, especially during, you know, first drives where teams had a, had a script, but it felt like a defense, even though we were out on the field a lot, and we also need to see what time of possession looked like this year. I bet you it's ugly. The The defense sort of increased uh, as the game went on or became yeah. more proficient, got into the backfield, and just wore down the offensive line as games wore yeah. on. Yeah, the biggest example of that, I think, is the first game, the game against Lamar Jackson, where the first half it was, I think even the Steelers players were just shocked at how unbelievably athletic this guy was, is. 
and he was escaping left and right. And then in the second half, they did some spying with nickelbacks and they did some creative things. And I guess TJ and Bud were better about their contain. And there was a visible improvement in being able to defend Lamar Jackson, who's essentially undefendable uh, in the second half. So I agree. Yeah, they, they were good. Um, the la- I guess the last, I don't know if you have anything else on defense. No. Oh, no. Cam Hayward's really good. We love him. Uh, Boswell is he's really good. I'm I'm still not comfortable speaking loudly about it. I, I don't think he's going to kick again for another nine months, but he uh, only missed two field goals this year. One behind Justin Tucker. So I saw a tweet from Alex Kazora today saying that last year he missed the most field goals in the NFL, and this year he missed the least. He missed the least. I think Tucker missed one. I was looking at that yesterday, and I'm going to look that up right now. Maybe he was counting it with extra points or something like that too, but we'll be the first ones to say, I'll be the first one to say, I said repeatedly in the preseason that I definitively thought he would not be able to come back from that season that he had. And I was wrong. And I'm very happy that I was wrong because I love Boswell and uh, the Steelers are better for it. So that's encouraging for special teams. Deontay Johnson had the Steelers first punt return for a touchdown in a few years. Other than that, we were a bit of a disaster in the punting game towards the end of the year. Uh, I'm sure Danny Smith will still be around Johnny Holton. While he can't catch the ball on offense, he's turned out to be a really good gunner. Maybe he's the new DHB. I don't know if that, uh, I don't think that quite guarantees him a roster spot. And I know Tyler Matakiewicz is a free agent after the season, but there's at least some improvements. Uh, well, some long-term guys at special teams. Uh, if we're going to cover that real quick, um, since we covered the defense as well, did you find the stat on? Yeah. So, you know, if you want to rank these guys percentage, Boswell actually was at 94%. Um, here, let me rank these guys in order of guys that matter. That's those, those kicking more than yeah. 30 kicks. Um, Josh Lambeau from Jacksonville was 97%. He missed one. Justin Tucker missed one. And then next up, uh, Boswell, 29 for 31. He actually wow. kicked, he had more attempts and made, he was 29 for 31. Justin Tucker, 20 for 29. And honestly, one of the misses for Boswell was a block. And I think the other one was just kind of a Hail Mary 54-yard field goal type thing, if I remember correctly. So I believe you are. Yeah, it's definitely one from 40 to 49. Oh, 40 and to 49, was, really? That was the blocked oh, one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then he had one. He was one for two over 50 yards. Yeah, there you go. That pretty much can't play better than that. Actually, no. you can. You can have the one game where he, the one year where he won three games in a row off a game winning field goal. Yeah. But he's, his career has been insane. I mean, he won the game against the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs with like six field goals or whatever it was, and five or six field goals. And yeah, thank goodness he's back because that's just another thing you don't want to look at because the Steelers have a lot to look at for next year. Um, I they but it's weird. I, we were talking about this the other day. There are a ton of question marks going into this offseason, but I also think that they're definitely going to be good next year, you know, barring a weird disaster. So it's weird to have a lot of questions, but also be pretty assured that there are enough studs on both sides of the ball where you're going to be a balanced team. Did you mention anything about Jordan Berry yet? I was going to, and then I decided not to. It seems like they bring in competition from every off season. He was pretty terrible at the end of the year, but he was pretty phenomenal through the rest of the year. And that's kind of who Jordan Berry is, right? He's, yeah. he's very inconsistent. So 
I wouldn't be surprised to see them bring in competition, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him as the Steelers punter again next year. All right. So I think yeah, that I does it. I think we have plenty of time to dive a little deeper in all these positions as we go down. Um, one thing we were going to talk about uh, is how the rookies did this year. So they're still want to do that. Yeah, let's do it. I mean, you start with the big guy, right? Devin Bush. Right. What do you have? I think he had 110 tackles going into the game, or maybe that's what he ended up with. But uh, that's a pretty damn good rookie season, if you ask me. I mean, he had some splash plays at the very beginning of the year, and then he tailed off. But that's just to be expected for a rookie. And if he's anything like the rest of these Pittsburgh defenders, he could really break out next year and even the year after that, especially at a like a leadership position like that where you have to call the defense as a middle linebacker. That's even an added element of responsibility. But I guess – I want to say he's been a home run as a pick. You got to see how he turns out if he keeps improving. But I mean, his speed is noticeable, especially in the past few games where they've had him covering some running backs or covering some ground. So huge pickup on Devin Bush, even though maybe he didn't have as much highlights as the other guy we were super excited about Deontay Johnson, who turned out to be exactly what we thought he would be. He's basically a clone of Brown and Sanders. Um, I'm, I'm still trying to catch up with you. So Devin Bush, you're right. 109 uh, tackles, one forced fumble, four fumble recoveries, and two interceptions. Pretty good rookie year. Yeah. And, and again, that, all I'm saying is he's just barely scratching the surface. The Steelers even intentionally played him a little bit less uh, through parts of the season, as Mike Tomlin said, because he wants the rookies to be fresh um, when the season ends. So they don't hit that rookie wall. And I guess just so that they can – you know, mentally focus, uh, mentally narrow the focus, whatever. So yeah, he was great. Uh, Deontay Johnson, he could be, re- he could be the number two receiver next year. So it's just weird how much re- relies on Ben's elbow because we know that backup QB is a massive issue for next year and uh, they don't really have any money to go sign anybody. So yeah. Well, so Deontay Johnson uh, was the most targeted receiver with 92. The next most was Washington with 80. So yeah, definitely relied upon, maybe not surprising given, you know, where, where he is on the field and Duck's ability to get it to him. Although Still, it's a good we sign. would have never predicted that in, in preseason that he would be the number one most targeted, right? No. And the other thing where he really improved, I think he improved is a pun return. I mean, For I sure. was, I was just, most of you won't remember this, but at the end of Roy Jarrell's uh, time with the Steelers, every time we went on the field, it was just a cringe, even though, even with yeah. extra points, even when the uprights were like a hundred yards wide. And that's the way I felt every time he was getting ready to catch a punt and yeah. he would usually get it, but it would be some off balance, falling backwards, uh, cross yep. your fingers catch. And at the end he was actually, you know, returning the ball, which we hadn't seen in a season or two. Yeah, to get a touchdown hasn't happened in a few years since the spider monkey slide down the goalpost in Indianapolis. So that's pretty huge. So he's great. We've kind of covered him a lot. And Benny Snell, again, you know, I've expressed my doubts about him, just like I expressed my doubts about Samuels, just in terms of these guys having little to no burst, which I don't think makes for a great star starting running back. Because even a guy like Le'Veon Bell, yeah, he doesn't have this long speed, but holy crap, his start-stop speed is out of this world. Um, So Benny Snell, I wouldn't say he had an incredible season, but he did exceed what I thought he could do, and especially in the game against the Ravens Sunday. He showed some ability to bounce it outside, much better than he looked in the preseason in the first games, which I guess is 
surprising because he's a rookie. You'd think he'd, he'd wind down. And um, yeah, so he played really well too as a rotational back and had two, I think, really good games for the Steelers. I hope they're not just hanging their hat on him being the next guy. I, I guess it just depends on who is available in the draft, but that running back position is something I want to see them bring in a real playmaker at. Yeah, totally agree. Cause Connor just doesn't have the durability. Yeah. Sucks. He'd be the guy otherwise, honestly. So Benny Snell looks like he did become a little more energized as the season went on. I mean, he just had to learn the ropes or maybe he found a source of energy that others hadn't yet discovered. Well, I don't want to make any accusations of PEDs. I don't know exactly the extent of the list, but it looked to me like Benny Snell was popping some blue chew, baby. Guys, do you remember the days when you were always ready to go do sex? You can leave the room right now, Dad. I remember those days. Now you can increase increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. And maybe when you're reading copy, it'll give you performance as well. Listen up, guys. It's bluechew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know that they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, or maybe even at halftime of the Ravens game, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. If you could benefit from extra function and more confidence where it counts, just ask Benny Snell. Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Most guys talk a good game, but Blue Chew helps you you follow through best part is it is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package so you don't have to deal with any in-person doctor's visits or waiting in line in the pharmacy and best of all no more awkwardness they're made in the usa and since blue chew prepares and ships direct they're cheaper than a pharmacy right now we got a special deal for our listeners visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code armchair just pay five dollars in shipping Again, that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W dot com, promo code armchair to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. So we don't want to get too far down the road because we have an entire offseason to fill, but I think we should touch on free agents next year, positions that we have to worry about. And we've already mentioned it once briefly earlier, which uh, is Bud Dupree, set to be a free agent one. next year. Yep. He's the biggie. Vance McDonald, also a yep. very costly tight end, especially when you divide his salary by the number of games played or the number of snaps. Yeah. I, th- I think an interesting well, – and, and Javon Hargrave. Yeah. Worried yeah, about Jav- all of them. But were you, were you also aware that Mike Hilton's a free agent next year? I was. That really sucks. Although that's one of those examples with Mike Hilton where sometimes it's going to suck and you're going to lose good players. Sort of reminds me of losing Mike Wallace or Plaxico Burris or I don't like Emmanuel Sanders, but we lost him too, where you got to have guys ready to step up. And Cameron Sutton in limited duty was phenomenal this year. So I would love for them to retain Mike Hilton, but if they can't, they at least have someone in the pipeline ready to uh, replace him now uh, Hargrave's gone everybody I mean he's going to get a bigger offer from a 4-3 team rather than a 3-4 which we play especially with Stefan to it uh, I think to has like the second highest cap charge on the entire team or something so he's definitely going to be back in the fold I would assume Hargrave is gone 
Bud Dupree is the giant question mark uh, and, and the biggest bummer because, man, it is such a luxury having two elite rush defensive ends, which is what Bud Dupree turned into this year. Another shocker. That's bigger than the Boswell shocker is this guy going from dud to stud. No, honestly, you, he, he got really good. Yeah, right. Now he's got to go. I don't know. The Steelers, like, he's the example of the kind of guy that the Steelers tend to find a way to keep, even when you think they don't have the money. Um, I guess it's good that they don't have Le'Veon Bell right now because then they'd have zero chance. But I just look at TJ Watt, you know, his contract being up soon. He's going to be getting 20 plus million dollars per year. I don't know how you can have all of your money in those two guys. So I'm a little doubtful on that one. Maybe Ola can come in and at least be a serviceable player. Um, but, you know, that one will really hurt. And then when it comes to Vance, don't forget, Vanette is a free agent too. And they got Gentry on the team, which is a fact, I guess. That should, that should give everybody a little comfort. That's right. He's Look, tall. you know what's crazy about Dupree? And I'm just checking out, you know, we, he got the big $9 million contract. But market value is calculated at $16.5 which puts him yep. up there with Chandler Jones. And, I'm, you know, statistically, obviously, he's not there. Damn him. He really owes us a team-friendly contract <laughs> right. the way we stuck by him. <laughs> That's right. Although, hey, it was easy for the Steelers, too. He's on that rookie contract with the fifth year. So, well, well you know what? And, 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 and the crazy thing, this, this sort of reflects back on something we talked about earlier in the season. Javon Hargrave worked for basically room and board compared yeah. to what he's going to make next year. He's at a $15 million salary after this year. That's why he's going to cash in for sure. Maybe there's a miracle that they get Bud. My guess is that they're going to keep Vance. Uh, Vance is frustrating because when he's on, he is phenomenal, but he misses a lot of games, and sometimes he just disappears. But I, I think the Steelers might be scared to go into the next year with literally like nobody on the roster who can start a tight end. Uh, so they'll, they'll probably keep him, and surely he'll do better with, with well, let's hope Ben's elbow heals, but with another quarterback and a whole off season. So I don't think they'll let him go, even though it's kind of a popular sentiment on Twitter, the idea of letting Vance go because you can um, uh, relieve some of the cap stress. Another potential casualty is unfortunately going to be the big ragu Ramon Foster. There's talks about releasing him. He even said in an interview after the last game that I just hope that they release me while I'm in Tennessee uh, so that I know what's up. And I guess that means, uh, you know, he lives in Tennessee in the offseason. Maybe that means I want them to release me then before training camp. I don't know what it is, but that, that could be a real bummer. Um, so I guess looking for, do you, do you have any more on the free agents actually? Well, he, he I mean, he doesn't cost anything. I mean, yeah, relatively no. speaking, but okay. That, what, what, yeah. So you combine yeah. that with the fact that Finney is also a free agent who got paid this year, but you know, just, it was a one-year deal is $3 million. So, right. I mean, I, I still think you have, um, well, Zach Banner is only good as a, as a tight end, I think, but well, yeah, Filer's already starting your, your cupboard, you know, the, the deepest position on the team is starting to get decimated. If, if yeah. these, any of these guys leave, I mean, at least we all felt comfortable. Uh, I did when, when Pouncey went down with, with Finney coming in. Yeah, you feel okay. Now you start, like it's not you start a disaster. Getting, yeah, you start getting thinner and thinner. Although, you know, Ragu really needs to go into broadcasting. He is 86 years old, done admirable for a geriatric. So maybe it's time. You know what's crazy is I think he's only played like 10 or 11 years. 
but I feel like he's 38. He's, he is, is he's 33. He's 33. He's played 10 years. Yeah. Well, something some people are talking about is the Steelers might let Foster go and they might let Finney go too, which would shock me if they let both of them go, honestly. And some people are thinking then you would slide Filer to guard just because the Steelers did that earlier in the year instead of plugging in Finney to that spot, which is tell some people that maybe the Steelers don't have as much confidence in Finney as we do. Um, but uh, if you you would shuffle him there, and then you would put Chooks as the starting tackle or Banner, which is you know why you drafted Chooks and why you brought Banner in. That seems a you know uh, Finney plays well when he plays at guard, or excuse me, Filer plays well when he plays at guard. Finney and Filer, Finney and Filer, they sound like the Keebler elves. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that seems like a I don't know I, I don't love that idea. It's not the worst idea I've heard, but I don't love so much of a change like that. But bottom line is, I guess moving from the free agents just into prognostication for next year. There's a bunch of questions on the offensive line, a little bit more than there has been in the past. The lucky thing is, you know, that you're still going to have Pouncey to Castro Villanueva and Filer at like for sure. Yeah. Or, or, but yes. Are you getting nervous about Villanueva? No, I think that he's still good to go. I mean, Foster, okay. you know, elder state, eldest statesman is is pouncy and i still think he's playing well despite the weird rash of bad snaps he had this year to wrap up offense what do you think in general needs to happen in 2020 i think that everybody knows this season was sort of defined by three things Uh, number one a great defense and number two a bad quarterback situation and number three a bad offensive coordinator situation so i love to see them address backup quarterback but the problem is they're not going to have enough salary cap space to sign one of these you know veteran backup type guys so they're gonna have to roll with you know the rudolph will still be on the roster i'm sure i do sort of doubt that duck might be around i'm sure they'll bring him into training camp or i would think they would to compete for it but i almost wouldn't be surprised if they found a way to bring Dobbs back or if, I mean, that's obviously a leap. He's, he's under contract in Jacksonville, but like maybe the XFL contract expires and they can get Landry back in here because they need to do something. They can't roll with duck and Mason, at least if Feetner's the coordinator. And then here's the, the, the next thing to talk about is I think we've, we talked about the, the dynamic between the coordinator and the quarterbacks earlier, but you and I pretty much agree. Like everyone else, they're going to keep Feetner. And I think he proved himself at the 16 game sample size. He is not good. And what's funny is the offense actually did well the year prior with that incredible red zone year and just one of the higher scoring offenses. So maybe Ben come, I'm sure Ben will cover up for some of that if he is healed, but what do you think of that? Like uh, the keeping a guy who clearly is not that good, um, just for the sake of keeping continuity with your quarterback. I do think there is some value just because you saw Ben and the offense did well, even when Feetner was there. And maybe it's better than bringing someone in that's new and learning something uh, entirely different at this stage of his career. But it just feels weird that you're going to say like, oh, the, co- the coordinator is not a problem at all. He had backup quarterbacks. What was he supposed to do? Look, do you want to know who um, who the free agent quarterbacks are next year who are under 40? I don't even know if they can afford any of them, honestly. It doesn't well, even really matter. Yeah. Case Keenum went for a cool $3.5 million to the Skins. 
Yeah, I mean, that will be an absolute home grand slam to get someone like him who's actually started and from the playoffs. But And wouldn't it be ironic if they brought your favorite quarterback to the Steelers, Blake Bortles? Under no circumstance can that happen. That is the only step backwards you could take. Well, yeah, no, that, that's just what I'm saying. They're, they're not bringing in a free agent. They don't have money. So they got to roll with who they got or uh, draft somebody late again uh, with how many draft picks this year. I don't know what they're going to do. It's an issue, but uh, maybe next year is a big roll of the dice on Ben. But what are your, do you have any thoughts on the coordinator thing I was asking about where it's like they're bringing in a guy who's not good. They're not. And that's what they're going to do. By the way, has anybody mentioned um, Keith Butler? You and yeah. I are only to the, he was, he was a, he was a, laser hot focal point last year all wounds and all sins have been forgiven so <sighs> i just look, wish that we had, not had a get... chance to see the steelers play the saints or somebody like that or even the texans or somebody with a good offense because while the steelers defense played phenomenal we didn't get we didn't see them play any good offenses over the second half of the year i mean they didn't have our lamar for this game you know jets bills Cardinals, Bengals, Dolphins. I mean, I just wish, because my thought is that he has improved. He's done a good job, Keith Butler. But I just really wish I could have seen him against the elite cream of the crop because it sort of seems in past years the Steelers actually could do well against some of these bad teams and they get exposed versus these people who scheme them. Um, and I don't know if that just ever gets fixed or not, but he's definitely back next year. Yeah, and I think Feetner will be back because there are just too many excuses Quarterback yeah. injury, running back injury, juju injury. Right. Marquise Pouncey yeah, suspension and injury. Is it the right opinion? Do you think that's the right thing to do? I think you have convinced me over this season. You, you've pointed out, and, and we've seen our uh, colleagues on Twitter point out, just the absolute consistency. And as you know, consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds in his play calling. I mean, I just can't see running with uh, running on second and nine. <laughs> I can't see it again, and we're going to. But maybe Ben's going to be checking out of all those dumb plays anyway. Well, that's so. the only, yeah, that's your hope that you have your offensive coordinator next year is right now sitting on the bench with an injury. That's right. And I guess to, we have a whole offseason to talk about this stuff. But the only other thing I'd like to see them add on offense is a playmaker of some type, just depending on who falls in the second round, unless there's a great edge player, which is a bigger need. But like whether it's a receiver a tight end or a running back. I think you, I think all those positions, well, tight ends obviously in flux, but it's like none of them are a disaster, but you could use a real beast at, at any one of those positions. And I wouldn't be worried about sitting someone who they already have, but they could really use someone who can score 70 yard touchdowns or, or make big plays. And hopefully they get that person early in the draft. Uh, so as we get out of here, there's some big news today. Saw an ESPN in the locker room. Everybody else probably heard about it last night. I don't know when the news came out about Freddie Kitchens, coach of the Cleveland Browns, is out on the street. Damn it. I was really hoping they'd keep him because he sucks at being a head coach. <laughs> Man, he's a cool guy. But uh, yeah, I honestly, okay, so you and I were talking about this earlier today, and we're just talking about this, everybody, just because it obviously affects the Steelers. We know that uh, the son of of Jesus himself, Joe Burrow quarterback LSU is going to be the quarterback for the Bengals next year. And as much as I'd like to say, well, the good news about him is he's going to be 
the Bengals quarterback at that point. So that means he can't be too good. Well, Carson Palmer used to tear us up, so it can happen. But yeah, this affects the landscape of uh, the competition the Steelers are going to be dealing with. I think that it was the right move for the, for the Browns to fire him because he was an experimental coaching candidate. And a lot of people wondered about hiring him when the year started, because it's not like this dude's been a coordinator in the league for a long time. He was a coordinator for like six games before that. He was a running backs coach, but they were so good in those six games. And especially with Baker Mayfield and Nick Chubb arriving, arriving, there was so much excitement around the Browns. Then they added Odell and it was just this huge thing with momentum. And Freddie kitchens had a really good relationship with Baker Mayfield that I understood like the idea of keeping this guy, because if you leave him at offensive coordinator, it, I mean, it looked just so certain that the Browns were going to be good this year, by the way, I'll eat that L too. I said that there's no way that that team's not going to be good. They're just too talented. I was wrong. And, uh, but I get it. Like they don't want Freddie kitchens to be the coordinator and get sniped the year after. And it really worked well when he was the coordinator at the end of last year. But, uh, so I get why they tried it. Maybe it, that was just a bridge too far. Um, but I also agree with them dumping the guy after one year, even though that sounds like dysfunctional Browns, but just because I just don't think that that guy's ready for a coaching job. Did you, do you have any thoughts? Do you think it's the right move or wrong move? I think it was absolutely the wrong move. I think to hire him, that, to hire him in the first place, right? You know, this is um, this is a typical Peter principle to me. Just because you're a great salesman doesn't mean you should be head of sales because they're two different they're two different uh, talents, two different core yeah. competencies. Being a good offensive coordinator does not necessarily make you a good head coach. I know sooner or later you've got to you you know you get your head coaches from one pool or another. I get that, but for the Browns, the Browns had head coaching experience available to them. But they chose mm. to get fancy and try to prognosticate this guy or should I say extrapolate his offensive talent to a head coaching position. I would not gamble with that. They spent way too much time, money, and misery getting the talent that they assembled. And they brought in a guy who hadn't had any experience to prove he could do something with that. I, yeah, that's a good point. Case. Because, no, that's a great point. And, and, and you know what? Even in retrospect, it's just like there are other guys who like Shanahan or excuse me, not Shanahan, McVeigh or even Mike Tomlin was only a coordinator for one year. But at least there's some sort of resume or there's guys like Kyle Shanahan, who was a phenomenal offensive coordinator for four different teams in Washington, Cleveland, um, Houston, who are all miserable before and after he left there on offense. And of course, until Deshaun Watson came along and then uh, with Atlanta taking them to be, I think, the eighth highest scoring offense in the history of the NFL. So there was like this huge track record of this guy, at least leading an offense. Freddie Kitchens was an offensive coordinator for six weeks. And before that, he was a running backs coach, a running back. Remember that <laughs> he was a running back coach. And uh, yeah, it just um, you're right. It, it was too much of a gamble, but that's why I think that it's probably the right move for them right now to get rid of him. And I think that's all we need to say about the Browns because whoever they get in there, we are going to break his spirit and hopefully he'll be fired after another Steelers win against the Browns in next year. So two other uh, moves, maybe less, uh, less affects the Steelers. Shermer from um, the, Giants. the Giants gets let's go. And um, Pat Shermer and yep. in Washington point of interest, Finally, listening be. to the clarion calls of the Washington area, Bruce Allen is being let go. Yeah. 
yeah, that'll solve all their problems towards uh towards uh, somewhat functionality for them but unfortunately dan snyder is still there so that's that if there is a report today saying that the redskins are thinking about hiring ron rivera uh who has yeah. weird he's like i think he had seven or eight years in uh, or nine years, something like that, under 10 years, but close to it in Carolina. I think he only had three winning seasons and twice got coach of the year. But other than that, he's a bunch of losing seasons. So he's kind of weird, but I'd say, hey, maybe that's a good move for the Redskins actually getting a coach who, you know, uh, has a history of stability. But they've tried it two or three times before. Even Joe Gibbs got them relevant again in his second stint. Mike Shanahan made them great. They ran him out of town. Jay Gruden didn't have a ton of experience, but – you know, being part of the Gruden family and being in football, he's a pretty steady guy. I just, uh, I don't know what to say with them. But either way, I guess we can wrap up the podcast since we're talking about coaches about Mike Tomlin. Here's what I here's what I think. I put out this tweet earlier today my, uh, regarding the fact that my opinion on Mike Tomlin hasn't changed. I think there's Bill Belichick at the very top of the league. I think there's a tier underneath of him that is occupied for like two or three years at a time by a hot coach. Uh, to me, Shanahan's kind of that guy right now. And then I think it's a cluster of Tomlin, Harbaugh, Reed, Peyton, and some of these other guys. Uh, but Mike Tomlin deserves some of the blame for the Steelers stumbling out of the gate with the 0-3 start. Just especially with how unbelievably unprepared they were against the Patriots in the first game. And then he deserves a lot of credit for the eight and two run they went on or whatever it was. And then we can't forget this is the second year where they've just stumbled and just thrown up on their own shoes at the end of the year. And they went zero and three, really three games that they should have won. And they didn't just lose to the Ravens backups. They got emasculated on national television. It was disgusting. And I am hoping that that horrible end of the season doesn't get them too big in the britches where you just think you can slide robo band back in there and everything's going to get fixed. I hope to see some actual material changes, hopefully to the coaching staff and to the playmaking uh, to the playmakers of the team too, even though they just don't have much flexibility of things to do. I don't think the Steelers are that far off. They should have gone to the playoffs this year, even with the crappy quarterbacks. And they definitely would have gone if you had been the whole year. So uh, and and honestly, they probably would have had a great shot at the number two seed in the NFL. So I don't think that there need to be sweeping changes. Interesting year for Mike Tomlin this year. Did you say manscaped? Oh, emasculated. Sorry. Emasculated. Two different things. That's true. Hey, thanks for all of you. Who Anything but emasculating. On. The manscaped. Whoever. That, that's masculifying, if you will. Sorry. Thanks to all of you who hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. We will do preview episodes next year pending Nick's new um, situation and Uh and time allowing. We enjoyed it. Thanks for for talking to us. Shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Um, Better luck next year, Steelers. Talk (laughs) to you next week. Go anybody but the Ravens and the Patriots. Okay, bye-bye. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline.
Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.